my partner Brandon Averill today. Disclaimer, Eric Averill and Brandon Averill are the co-founders of AWM Capital. Due to industry regulations, it's essential to explicitly state that investment or strategies mentioned on this podcast may not be suitable for you, and you should discuss your specific situation with a qualified, certified financial planner. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of AWM Capital or its affiliates. For more information, visit athleteceo.com. Well, I'm excited today, uh, Justin, to have you on the Athlete CEO podcast. When I think of you know professional athletes and business individuals, you really are the epitome of the Athlete CEO. So thanks for uh, taking a few uh, moments this morning to chat. Happy to be here. Well, Justin, where, where I thought would uh, be a great place to start is you know, your background as a professional baseball player, you played collegiately at the University of San Diego and, and uh, are in kind of their all-time leaderboards. You signed professionally with the Philadelphia Phillies, have a minor league career. Take us from that transition out of minor league baseball into the business world. Well, you make it sound like it was a lot better than it actually was. <laughs> I tell people never never to Google my actual stats because they're just not that pretty. I think like a lot of left-handed pitchers, we, we tend to get drafted on potential. Whether or not it's fulfilled is a different question. I think that I probably maximized the, that potential aspect and then transitioned it into college scholarship. I was fortunate. I kind of knew that I wanted to get drafted the whole time when I was a kid. And then when I got to school, I was kind of not really a finished product. I ended up starting early like you. Didn't have nearly the success you did, but was able to get drafted by the Phillies. Oddly enough, who had never actually talked to before the draft. I'm sure you (laughs) probably have a similar story to that. And played three very uneventful mediocre seasons in the Philly system. I do I do think that I was part of the fact that they won the World Series in my final year. In so when I was down in, in low A and probably hurt for a stint, I think my the Juju helped them get there. So I, I take credit <laughs> for that. But I would say I, I knew it was gonna be a short lived career. I, I didn't anticipate playing minor league ball for fifteen years or anything like that. I was lucky to to grow up not just with a business family, but I also had an interest in business. So I was, I mean, you know, guy near and dear to our heart, Tuffy Ghostwish. He, he and I would be the only guys on the road at a Panera Bread reading the Wall Street Journal at eight in the morning with a cup of coffee. <laughs> the rest of the guys could have cared less about business or anything else. It was, it was much more in the moment. And I think sometimes that's a positive and sometimes that's a negative. He made it work surprisingly kind of defied the odds and made it to the big leagues. But I think some people would say, well, you weren't focused enough on your baseball. Others might say, well, you were smart to start thinking ahead and learn the language and really be able to kind of hit the go button and, and proceed into the business career. So the funny thing is, I don't know how it was for you, but when I was 24, 25 coming out of baseball, I felt behind. I actually felt like, all my friends had had entry level jobs for two, three years out of college, and I was behind. 
I didn't realize till later on that I had a story. You had a story. All of the athletes have stories. And that's invaluable when it comes to being in front of clients, prospective employers, really anybody. Even though you might play horrible in minor in a minor league season, they don't really care. They're just curious about your experience. And so while I may not have had an internship or a career transition program, which probably fed into some of the athletes touch stuff, I felt prepared enough from growing up, like I said, in, in a business family, my dad had started and, and run a few businesses. And quite honestly, that's the only reason I got my first job at Morgan Stanley. It was basically sight unseen. And it was a friend of my dad through one of his networking organizations. And he said, Oh, you got a pro athlete son who's going to be able to step into some of your network. Great. We'll hire him. And that kind of was the first really aha moment for me thinking, wait a second, I don't even have a resume. And I just got hired for more money, way more money than a minor league salary. Hopefully these guys can get more going forward. But <laughs> all of a sudden I felt like I hit the, the jackpot. So my fears about not being able to transition successfully were kind of unfounded because I was able to use that story. And once again, potential, everything's on potential. I didn't fulfill it in baseball. And I, who knows if I'll fulfill it in business, but somebody was hiring me on the potential of relationships and my ability to help somebody grow firm. And so I think that was my early indoctrination into the transition to, wow, okay, your minor league career is behind you now. What are you going to do going forward? Yeah, that's, you know, it's a very similar story uh, to my own that I think of, of my first job, same thing, no resume, completely based off of relationships in, in the, you know, our athletic background. And, and sometimes I remember going through it thinking a little bit of, you know, do they just, are they just hiring me to get access to, to my friends? And being young and immature, I almost took that as an offense instead of understanding um, the value. And obviously you have the, the control whether or not um, you, you go after your friends or, or how you approach them, but really understanding it's the power of the network, right, that um, provides you opportunities. And what you also said is your story of um, I think there's a I know for myself, I went through an insecurity of that transition of of, you know, almost being embarrassed that, that I didn't have a successful professional career, but what you realize mm -hmm. when you, when you get into the business world, nobody, nobody cares. Nobody know? cares. Yep. They think it's cool that, that you had an opportunity to do something that very few people do. Um, and yep. that your, that your identity and, and self-worth isn't attached to your stats, but it's, Yep. You're very interested in, in your experiences, your story, your skill set that you developed becoming a, an elite athlete. And so um, just I think that that should be encouraging to the athletes that are listening to this of going, um, you know, don't be don't be afraid of relationships and you should actually actually build them. Um, talk a little bit about you mentioned athletes touch. You know, this is how we first really got to develop a, a relationship was through this organization athletes touch. Can you tell our listeners about it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, before I do that, I want to follow up on the last thing you said, because I think it's interesting. I think the single most important aspect of the business world, aside from communication is storytelling. Hmm. And it's not storytelling in such a way where nobody cares if you want a college world series or minor league championships or 
anything like that. But with all the CEOs and clients of mine that I deal with or founders or owners of businesses, I tell the story actually about how I got the yips. And that's probably a section or a segment for a completely different podcast. But <laughs> anybody, who's, anybody who's ever gone through that knows how mentally exhausting that is. And so I spend quite a bit of time, especially when people are trying to get to know me. My last three, four months of my final season was completely marred by that. I couldn't, I couldn't even play catch anymore. Something that you and I have been doing since we were a few years old. I couldn't play catch with teammates. I couldn't even throw anywhere near game time when people or kids were in the stands. So I was so embarrassed, so humiliated. And I would, I only pitched on days there were blowouts because I had to pitch because I was still quote unquote a prospect. And I think that I just share that because that's essentially what I tell most new people that I'm talking to or going to work with. So they know who I actually am, that I went through it. I recovered. I knew I was going to get cut the next year because I was a shell of my former self. But that was my biggest lesson is I've never dealt with, I hadn't dealt with much failure growing up, probably like you, a lot of winning, a lot of being the best player. So when are you going to get humbled? And that was the most humbling thing that I ever went through. And so I think that people care about that stuff. And especially when you can be a little bit more vulnerable. So I wanted to at least highlight that as as we were finishing up on that part, because that was probably the the biggest life lesson that I took from that experience. Not, oh my gosh, we won a championship in Lakewood or wherever else. That, That doesn't matter, like you talked about. But how does somebody deal with failure? How does somebody overcome it? Those are the things that I'm always looking for. Is is a client going to blow up and mess up a deal? Is a client going to yell at me for something silly? Like I want to know those types of things. How are they going to react when the chips are kind of down? And so anyhow, I'll transition to the athlete's touch thing, but I think it is pretty important for any athlete transitioning to not be afraid of the the past or the failure or any vulnerability or the injuries or the setbacks. That is truly what I think makes makes each of us unique. Yeah, that's that's power. That is powerful. I, I'm glad that that you spent time on that. We, our previous guest was uh, Jeff Pearsall, a very successful uh, business owner out in Florida, and he talked about. Uh, he was also a an award winning collegiate basketball coach. Of there is no failure. You just learn or you win. You know, and it and it's during yeah. those trials that really refine you in that fire. And, you know, he, he had talked about how do you, how do you fight fear and how do you overcome it? But it really is, is um, we really discover who we are as people when, when things go wrong and there's difficulties in our life. And I think there's no better, you know, example to a future employer, like you said, is, you know, business, they're not always wins, right? There's, there's a lot of risk taking there's, and there's a lot on the line in, in relationships and you want to know, you know, if this person's in the foxhole hole, how are they going to respond and, and telling those stories of failure and being vulnerable is an opportunity for people to get to know you and, and to see you in those situations. So I, I thank you for, for, you know, going into that, your own story and, sure. and being vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, hopefully it's helpful to anybody else who's gone through or is going through difficulty, because especially when it comes to the transition, I don't know too many people who don't feel vulnerable transitioning to 
either a suit or a tie or pants that don't fit over our quads because they're, they're so big <laughs> from so many squats. I mean, nobody feels that comfortable when you put that, that new uniform on. And so it's probably a good segue to Athlete Touch, which yeah. I co-founded with my partner, Kent Seaton. Almost, this is going to be our 10th year. So I was about 24, almost 25, probably didn't know anything, but knew that I valued and cherished the relationships that I had had through baseball. And I had, like I said, I had seen my dad had started by way of background, our company that is the mentor group that is our main, main business, uh, which is in financial services. And he had started a networking group called PNG, which now is called Provisors. And he started by himself in 1989, knowing nobody in LA. He had moved from Chicago and basically he was trying to be, create a marketing engine for the mentor group. And so it was brick by brick. He'd go try to meet every lawyer or accountant or consultant in town and say, here's what we do. We value companies. We sell businesses. We're investment bankers, blah, blah, blah. Let's set up a, a round table. Let's try to help each other out. And he was just a grinder and he built it up now. I think he sold out a couple of years ago, but I think there were 4,500 or 5,000 numbers or something like that. And they all pay wow. annual dues and they're in Boston now and they've got a hundred groups in California. And so it's been a really great story. I don't even think he realizes the magnitude of it, but we still run into people in restaurants that will say hello to him that he hasn't met and they'll say, Hey, provisors changed the way I do business, changed, changed my life. And it sounds kind of, silly or corny and i remember growing up he used to bring us to restaurants and i was like wow my dad knows everybody at every restaurant but he just brought us to restaurants where he knew people that he probably was going to run into so i think that was the the trick behind it but it was great to learn that i said this isn't rocket science this is just relationship building he's as good at communicating as anybody i've seen i can do this but curate it more for an athlete's community. I know what these guys and girls are going through coming out of either college or a minor league career or even a successful, probably even worse, a 10 or 15 year major league career where the spotlight was completely on them. Right. So we started it really with the idea to say, okay, the spotlight's off you. What happens next? We don't, we care, but we don't care about what you did in your professional athletic career. Like, it's great. You're one of us. If you, you could be a, we've had Olympic skiers, Olympic swimmers, gold medalists. We've had NFL Super Bowl champs. Like we've had minor leaguers like me with zero success. It doesn't really matter because the spirit of the athlete generates a lot of respect no matter what sport you play. Because we know we all went through something to get to where we are. So we started it really with the idea of just let's bring athletes together, former athletes together and collaborate, see if we can help each other out. And I'd say it, it worked out pretty well. I think in nine years, we're, we have what, eight chapters in Southern California. We had had groups outside of California for a while. We'll probably go back and, and attack that part of the business model down the road. But really, we probably throw 80 or 90 events a year, bring in speakers, try to generate good content relevant to what's going on in the, in the business uh, or even nonprofit community. And we try to give people access to things that they might not ordinarily have access to in, in addition to the opportunity to meet great people. I can say 99% of the people that I've gotten to meet, I'd go grab dinner with, go grab a beer with. And I don't know if that's necessarily the same 
you would consider people just in the general business world or the general community where you just might not have as much in common. So I think it's a very specifically curated group that allows somebody to come into uh, to our meeting or to our organization and feel a little bit more at peace in a in a pretty uncomfortable and networking is not comfortable for anybody. I don't care who you are. You can do it every day. It's still not that still not generally fun until you know people, right? It's a, what's the difference between a stranger and a friend? Well, it's not a whole lot. And like you and I became fast friends. We'd known each other, known of each other growing up. And then it's like, we clicked like we've been friends forever. You could, somebody tell me, oh, you've been friends with Eric for 20 years? I'd be like, I don't know, probably. That sounds right. <laughs> yep. And here we are having not had, we haven't talked in a few years. We've had a bunch yep. of kids and all this stuff. We could pick up right where we left off. No problem at all. And I think that's what, in a long-winded version of saying, that's what Athlete Touch is. Yeah. It doesn't matter what line of business we're in. I'm going to try to help you even if I haven't seen you in five years because you're my, you're my teammate. Yeah. Well, I think that that's what struck me the most uh, about athletes touch and why I think it's been successful is beyond, you know, there's, there's been multiple attempts, I'm sure over decades of trying to throw athletes in a room um, and saying, you know, it's usually somebody trying to figure out how do you monetize this or, you know, typical networking, you, you unfortunately get a lot of individuals that are very me centered. Um, and whereas the thing about athletes touch and the culture is, which is, which is just crazy, um, is it's very much, how do I add value to it? And how do I help other people about, and some of the rhythms that you guys have in your meetings, can you, can you share why you think, why you're successful as a networking group beyond, you know, and and not to minimize the athlete thing, because I think there is that shared trust and comfort when you walk into a room and you are insecure. And it's like, as you guys always said, the easiest question to open up is, Hey, what sport did you play? And you know, you know, it's going to start a conversation and, and that's not to be minimized, but there's a stickiness to this group that, that people really do look as it as a team, as opposed to just something I show up to try and generate business from. Well, I think part of that, and I appreciate the comments on it. Part of it is Kent and I are very similar in that we don't care if we get business out of it because we believe if we do right by people going forward, this is a long, long journey. If we help enough people, it's going to bounce back. It's going to boomerang. So you, in our mission statement, the last line is the uniforms, uniforms may be different, but the athlete is always the same. There's nothing about Kent or me, or you might see a picture of us on the athlete touch website just for, just to make it a little bit more tangible, but there's no, there's nothing about our businesses there. There's nothing about driving it for us or anything like that because people can spot an agenda a mile away. And if we made this all about us and, our egos were the sizes of the rooms that we were in, people would run to the hills. But what you find is you lead by example, no different than the field. And if Kent or I sit down with somebody, a prospective member or a seasoned member or just anybody that we get introduced to, we're probably going to have two, three, five people they should meet after the meeting that we'll make introductions to or ideas for them. We might spend the whole time talking to them about their them or their own business. And it, because we enjoy it, nothing for no other reason. And I think, like you said, that rubs off. It gives people a little bit more comfort, a little more security there that 
we don't we don't want somebody coming in and looking at us with dollar signs on on our foreheads as if we're the next piece of meat for them. That doesn't do it do do a networking group or an organization any good. When everyone's in it for the same reason, that's why you see some stickiness. So I think that is why it's a little different. No one's showing up with leads or handouts or quid pro quo. No, it's come in with the right attitude, try to be helpful, be a teammate. We've all been teammates, whether it's team or individual sports, and you'll you should be able to win together. And so that's there's probably a lot of cliches in there, but that's truly how we've we've looked at it over the last nine plus years. Yeah. And and you guys, what the other thing I love and is the commitment to education. You just shared that you guys have done a panel on you know, from cryptocurrency to, to cannabis to, you know, the to tech, you now have a, an affinity group. If you were, um, you know, talking to these current professional athletes that are listening in, um, is, is athletes touch something if they live in Southern California that, you know, they could even join as a, as a current athlete. And then kind of the second question is, is what advice would you give to, uh, current athletes that are, trying to learn about kind of the business world, where should they start? Both good questions. Yes, on current athletes can come out, could join. Absolutely. We, we are a home for all. And we don't care the skill level or, the, or how seasoned somebody is. We want to provide that spotlight when the spotlight on the playing career is, is starting to dwindle a little bit. Uh, because there's just not a home for, for a lot of these people post-playing career. So it's inevitable for all of us, whether you choose it or it chooses you. So I think, yeah, content's really important. Where are you going to get access to it? You can read, you can do all those things, but we want to create action. Even if it's small reps, I mean, you take reps for a reason. And that's what we try to do is just get a little bit better. And I think for current athletes, the hardest part is how much do I look ahead versus in the moment? Hmm. And I think everybody goes through that a little bit. I, my, my own personal journey, which obviously didn't get very far. I think you always have to be looking at and bettering yourself off the field. So it might be reading a book on understanding investments or understanding the market so that somebody can come out and have a conversation with you and you Probably if somebody came to you and understood the history of the markets and maybe financial planning, you'd probably be pretty impressed. You'd say, wow, that's, I'm maybe surprised. And maybe you shouldn't be surprised, but probably the nature of it. And I think that people should get involved while they're current, a current athlete and go meet as many people as you can. There's a reason, and yes, they have more money than they know what to do with, but there's a reason that Kobe and LeBron and started with Magic back in the day they they didn't just sit on their basketball contract. They're producing things. They're in entertainment. Kobe Bryant, I just saw it's body armor, made probably the biggest investment of his life by probably glad handing with CEOs and understanding the language, the parlance of business and just being a sponge. It didn't slow him down from being one of the greatest in the game. So I think if he can do it, if LeBron can do it, if Magic can do it, everybody can do it. Yeah, so, that's... Yeah, that, there's that, there's a general. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say on on that note, we had a, a previous guest, Ryan Neese, who played seven years in the NFL, yeah, yeah. right? Son of Ronnie Lott. He shared that uh, he had read the book Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi and 
got the idea. I'm going to write a handwritten note to every suite holder when he was with the Buccaneers and, you know, provided his cell phone, his email. And he goes, you know, not all of them took me up on it, but I ended up grabbing lunch or dinner and they're all these, you know, owners and CEOs of businesses. And he goes, I, I had no business being at lunch with them, but you know, yeah. it, they, they gave me access and I asked a simple question. I said, Hey, you know, tell me about, tell me about yourself, tell me your story. And all of a sudden he had this deep, deep network. So I think that's <laughs> so powerful. Well, the other thing is, well, for one, Ryan is a great guy and what he's done with gridiron is unique, but it shouldn't be unique. He's carved out a very special place and has had a lot of success. And it's not because he's Ronnie Lott's son. It's because he's done so much good on his own, but he shouldn't be the exception. He really should be the rule. And I'm sure he's shared that story. I, I also say Never Eat Alone was one of the best books that I, I've ever read. And I try to read it often or cite it often. And, and it's just, it's very powerful. It's small steps to a long journey. And so, yes, a guy like Ryan who's writing the sweet holders, knowing that they can afford it and knowing that they're probably involved in some pretty good circles, a no brainer. But there are other ways to go about just doing things that others aren't. So I'll give you one example. I, I met with a kid who was a uh, UCLA football player. and I asked him, I said, he's probably not going to go to the NFL and he has no work experience. And I said, well, you get your season coming up in two months. I said, aside from two a days or weightlifting, what are you doing in June, July, August? He said, oh, just hanging out with friends, all that stuff. I said, well, you're clearly talking to me because you're trying to get a jump on, on what you're going to do after. I said, have you, have you reached out to any of the alumni club? Have you reached out to any UCLA alums that are maybe big donors, grab coffee, shadow them, take five <laughs> minutes. You, you're you a UCLA football player on the sideline. I don't care what your name is. You still are in the spotlight. You, you tell somebody that, they're going to meet with you. They're going to love to hear your story and what you're doing and how the upcoming season is going to be and what's like playing with Josh Rosen or Jim Mora or Chip Kelly or whatever. Yeah. Take advantage of that. And I said, the next time I talk to you, I want you to have 10 to 20 of the best UCLA alums in LA that you've tried to reach out to. I don't care if 2%, I mean, two of, or 10 or 20% of that list actually responds to you because now all of a sudden, if you get them in your corner, you can reference them and you can go to them as counselors or mentors. Nobody else is doing that. So do that. Start there. It's easy. You can get access to these people and they will, they will respond, especially with your story. So it, it is baby steps and it's not, rocket science it's just nobody does it yeah yeah it's 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 the hustle effort right you know I was having a conversation with one of our clients uh you know he's been in the big leagues for three years going on four years and and uh you know he, he just talked to me about I'm so bored in the off season you know should I buy should I buy a, a rental home you know so that I have something to do to keep me busy and I was able to talk to him. I said, well, you're interested in this. How, how about we have you go shadow, you know, someone who's an expert in real estate. And he, and it's funny. Yeah. He's like, I've never even thought about that. And I go, man, you guys are in such a sweet spot that you have so much time in the off season and, and not that you have to go to work for 40 hours, but take advantage of that opportunity where any door could be open. And most, most companies would love to have a current 
NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB player rolling around their office, you know, for a few hours during a week or two. I mean, it would, it would, right. They'd go nuts over it. So definitely. They'd love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know what the hardest part is starting. The hardest part is saying, I'm going to do this today. And it's either, you're not going to accomplish everything in the first hour, but there's branches. And you can start with one of your clients can say, Eric, I'm in Scottsdale for the offseason. I'm working out. I'm training here. Who from the Thunderbird Club can I meet with, to have right. coffee with, just to talk, to learn business, to learn the language, to learn the P&L, to learn any of that stuff, baby steps. Or, hey, I'm going to be in L.A. You're going to connect them with somebody or you can connect them with me or you go to New York. We have enough tentacles out there where all of I really do believe that any athlete in any sport with a handful of reaching out can get to where they want to go if it's in a two or three month off season they will still make progress but the hardest part is there's a lack of confidence and nobody wants to look dumb so nothing happens yeah yeah no question yeah getting started's harded you know um Transitioning back to, you know, what you had mentioned you do on a, on a daily basis of investment banking and, and M&A is, can you talk about what that ramp up was like for you? I mean, your, your first initial stop was Morgan Stanley, you know, more around a financial advisor experience, but then going to work at the mentor group and now being, you know, the managing partner of there is, what was that education process like for you? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it it actually dovetails nicely with what we're talking about with baby steps. And it's not about chasing the dollar and trying to become a multimillionaire overnight or a CEO of a company. I mean, I started, like I said, I got a job sight unseen. I have no qualms about it. It was it's a who you know world out there. And I was fortunate enough to, to get a good start at Morgan Stanley and work there a couple of years. And uh, similar to your track, I thought I wanted to go down and, and protect the interest, the financial interests of, of athletes. And it was a, it was a good start. I learned a ton about the markets, especially I was one month in the market crashed in 08. And that was quite a trial by fire. That's a college, that's a graduate degree in the first six months of being on that job. I realized that I think while I had market interest and market knowledge, I kind of liked researching and understanding these companies and these CEOs and how they were building things. And I knew probably that I was going to ultimately go into the family business, but I'm glad I got to start independent of that. And also to see what kind of big culture was like, big firm, bureaucrat, the bureaucracy. And so I transitioned in and I would say by no means that did I understand what I was talking about for the first few years. I probably said some really silly things early on and tried to fake my way through and maybe it worked and maybe people called my bluff and I just didn't even know it, but it probably took me a good three to five years to where I had any real clue. And when you're talking to individuals, it's very different than talking to businesses. <laughs> when you're talking to businesses, you, you don't have to be an accountant, but you better understand numbers. You better understand how their business works. And it could be, I'm dealing with a staffing company right now. I'm dealing with a medical packaging company. I'm dealing with a promotional products company. Three different locations, 
three different types of businesses with different gross margin, with different EBITDA. EBITDA is a term that everybody should know. <laughs> if you don't know it, go learn it. Go understand it. Because it took me a while to fully understand what it was. I remember when I was a young kid and I was like, what is equity? I have no idea what equity is. And yeah. I think it took me five years to fully grasp equity in a real world way. I just had no idea. It's repetition. It's understanding oh, wow, that's how that works. Or, oh, okay, so they make money, but people associate revenue with profit all the time. And I tell them, that's not even close to the same thing. <laughs> somebody who's making a million dollars, somebody who has a million dollar business isn't making a million dollars. They might be making $200,000. They might be making zero. They might be losing money. And so I think that took me quite a while. It was a lot of osmosis. It was a lot of asking questions. It was a lot of just, different types of projects getting involved, getting ramped up. And now, eight, nine, 10 years in, however long it's been, I feel like I have a really good grasp, but I'm far from a finished product. I'll never know everything that there is to know about this world. And, and quite frankly, you don't need to be the smartest at what you do to be successful and to help clients and to be an advocate for people. They just want to know that they can trust you and that you're experienced and that you have their best interest. And anybody who ever says, oh, I'm the best financial advisor, I'm the best investment banker in the industry, I probably don't necessarily want to deal with them because there might be more there that um, is underlying. And so sometimes maybe that goes back to the self-deprecating nature of, of sports where you, we played with guys and women played with women who are better than them all the time at every level. Right. So you, you get put in place quickly. Yeah. So there's no pretentiousness. There's no artificial ego. You fit where you fit and you try to try to make progress. You try to do a little bit better. So look, the transition for anybody is you can be a Ivy League educated guy, girl, and it's still going to be a learning process with a ramp up curve. And you just you kind of need to embrace it. And Starting from square one is not failure. It's it should be exciting in a sense. Like I'm glad I went through that learning process. I like I like to learn about new businesses all the time. When you talk about real estate, I love real estate. Am I a real estate expert? Far from it. But I'm very curious, so I'll read about it. I want to know what's going on in multifamily. I want to know what's going on in student housing. Things that I didn't even know about or care about until a couple of years ago. So I also liken it to I don't care to go play pickup baseball on a Sunday because it's kind of a lose-lose. I'm either going to get hurt or I'm just not going <laughs> to probably play very well. So that doesn't do anything for me, but I'll go play pickup hoops because it's fun and I don't have any expectations and I want to learn how to get better at something that I didn't spend my whole life doing. So I think there are some parallels to a transition into, into a new activity, whether it's while you're playing or even afterwards. Yeah, there's there's a lot of golden nuggets in there that you said and just drawing a few of them out. Number one is a, what you said of being curious. I think that that is one of the key traits of, of entrepreneurs or just successful people in general is, you know, always having a hunger to learn that uh, I think the more successful you are, the more you realize how little you know and how big the world mm -hmm. is right? You start yeah. to be exposed to so much. And 
one thing you said is, is it's not a negative deal. It's you should be excited about that and go, wow, there's this incredible world of opportunity out there. And, you know, in this information age, and if you've done relationships well, you can learn from so many different people. And so having that curious nature is, is key. The, the second thing that you hit on that I, I just loved was when you said I wasn't, you know, I wasn't chasing the dollar right out of, out of the gate. It was um, playing the long game of going, who can I surround myself with or take a job somewhere where I can learn, you know, very, the old school apprentice model of, you know, actually becoming experienced as an expert, as opposed to wanting to jump in and, and think that you're all of a sudden going to be the CEO of a company. And, What's really interesting, it's, you know, I get that the difficulty for an athlete, sometimes we transition, you, you've been at the highest level for so long that you think that it should just equally translate over and you almost feel like a failure if it doesn't. But as to what you said is you're playing a whole new game. And so it's okay. You just need reps. It's like anything else. None of us could step back on the mound and in a major league game and have success. We, we haven't had the reps. And so I think just the encouragement to the athletes who are listening of going, play the long game, you know, find someone that you can get around, be mentored by, you know, and, and learn the fundamentals. It's, uh, it's the funny thing about being a financial advisor, right? Is the term is so watered down and, and, um, our experience, you know, I started at Morgan Stanley as well is, you know, you get your seven and, and then they tell you to go recruit people and say, well, hey, trust me, trust me with your millions of dollars. I've been, you know, I'm a financial advisor for, for a big firm <laughs> and you're sitting there going, I know absolutely nothing. And, um, you know, whereas when you really start to talk to people and, and I see this in the in the agent world a lot is unfortunately um, people that uh, are providing business decisions for a lot of the athletes actually don't understand business. And so I think to your point for the athlete, if, if it's something as basic of, of learning the fundamentals of, of a P and L of a, of a, you know, just the financial statements that would take them further than, than many things. So, um, great advice. Well, you had mentioned that you, you know, you like to, to reference never, uh, never eat alone. Are there any other kind of books or podcasts or resources that come to mind that have, that have really had a big impact on your life? Uh, yeah, I would say there's a book called give and take by Adam Grant that I really love. It's very much a similar premise. Uh, I would also say the, it's a book by Peter Guber, who's obviously had some success <laughs> and he, I, I can't remember the exact title, but I think it's the, the storytelling, the art of storytelling. Uh, I can't remember it specifically, but it was fantastic. And there's a there's a little bit of him saying, "Well, I have this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy on, on my speed dial," which is fine because he's kind of earned that right. And if he has a new venture or he wants to go raise money for something, or he's created that infrastructure around him. And it's not that that happened over a month that's happened over a long career. And he's probably done right by a, a million people to get there. And he tells the, a good story. And the, the highlight of it is every good story should have three components, a challenge, a struggle, and a resolution. Well, 
it's kind of no different than when I told you my yip story. Okay, that was my challenge. It was also my struggle. Well, what did you do? Did you give up? Did you throw in the towel? And did you say, woe is me? No, I tried to work harder, which by the way, you, you can't work off the yips in the weight room. It doesn't work. <laughs> uh, you, you really need to remove yourself from it altogether. But regardless, I said, here's my goal. My goal is to be able to throw again, to play catch again, not look like a, a clown. And so one day I can throw batting practice to my kid. That was really my goal. And so I got back, I cleared out, cleared the head a little bit, got back to spring training. It was not very good, but was not laughable. And so that was a win. And so I got released, but I can hold my head high saying, okay, I got back. That was my resolution. And now I'm going to use this into whatever I go to do next. So when you tell that story, when, when it has those kind of components, people will listen, people will remember, be memorable. Don't be boring. Don't, give a 30 second elevator pitch that I'm a financial advisor. I'm an investment banker and I'm the best in the world. No. Why are you unique? Who are you? And I think that has been very valuable for me. And that was from one of those books right now. Like I said, I get fired up about things that are in, in real time. There's a uh, podcast called how I built this by Guy Raz. I think it's on, it's on uh, NPR and it's fantastic. It's all the top CEOs, their stories, how they basically failed a hundred times and then they created a billion dollar enterprise or whatever from Arthur Blank to Howard Schultz to Chip Wilson to the Spanx lady to, I mean, everybody. And their stories are all, they're all different, but they're all uniquely similar. Nobody does it without luck, but nobody does it without work. And I think it's kind of some combination of you're going to work, you're going to, try to do things with the best intentions, and you're probably going to get a little bit of luck along the way. You don't know when, but you got to believe it. And those are the things that, and I say, I come out of athlete touch meetings at eight o'clock at night. And instead of being tired, I'm, I'm almost ready to go back into the office and go work because I'm, I'm recharged. I'm fired up because I get inspired by other people having success and not monetary, just feeling like they're either enjoying it or they're progressing. And I say, gosh, I love that. And I think that's probably also an athlete trait generally we're inspired by others instead of feeling defeated by it. So curiosity, really, it goes back to that. If you want to learn, you want to get better. There's nothing stopping you. Yeah, that that's powerful. Staying on the topic of, of investing uh, for a quick moment, you know, there's, you guys have, have held these panels of really hot topics and, what advice would you give for, you know, really anyone, founder, entrepreneur, athlete, who's starting to tiptoe into the investment world? I think you sit in a unique situation being on the investment banking and the M&A side because you see you see behind the curtain, right? Like you actually see how the sausage is made um, when it comes to companies and the way that you think about, you know, I'd love to just hear the way that you think about investing and advice you would give to people as they, they start down that journey. Sure. Well, I, I think bad headlines obviously rule the day. So you get, whether it's advisory or agent scandals once or twice a year that I think sets people back quite a bit because you never hear about the, the good stories. You never hear, you don't hear details about how Peyton Manning built up however many Papa John's franchises right. or 
some of the some of the other well-known Jamal Mashburn. Nobody knows that he has a hundred plus successful restaurants. I think he's living in Florida. I talked to him a few years back. Understated, humble guy, and he's killing it. And who would have thought? I'm sure he didn't grow up saying, "I can't wait to own a bunch of Carl's Jr. franchises or Outbacks <laughs> or something like that." But he, or I think he owns Dunkin' Donuts. And guess what? He owns a Dunkin' Donuts in Rupp Arena, where he's obviously a Hall of Famer. And I'd imagine his Dunkin' Donuts does pretty well in that arena or in, around Lexington. So somebody, it was his curiosity. I'm sure people, he had great advisors along the way, but nobody hears those good stories. They just hear the blow-ups and then people get scared and reticent to, to try to understand investments. And I think it's, don't just throw money at something. Throw your time at it too. You can invest in a, in a seed round or a venture deal if you get access to it. Or you can invest in a tried and true 50-year-old business. Or you could shadow those people. You could talk to the CEO and say, hey, how do, how do I do something like this? But I think, I think it shouldn't just be passive. I think in order to ensure that your next 30, 40, 50 years are going to be successful, you need to take a bit of an active approach to it. Like, for example, we, we never were in multifamily like I said, until a few years ago, we kind of stumbled into it actually through athlete touch. And now we're out in Madison, Wisconsin doing it. And it'd be easy to just passively do it and not really care about it, except hope the distributions come in. But no, I, I've actually enjoyed it. I've gotten to understand a real estate P&L is different than a business P&L. And to go out there and see property and it's tangible. So it's a little easier. And then you could look at a plumbing business on the, on a different length and say, okay, well, guess what? It's a services business. Somebody needs their hose or their, their sink unclogged. Okay, so somebody pays for that. You hire labor to go do that. You hire a bookkeeper to enter that. All right, after rent and after everything else, here's what's left over. It's not rocket science. And I think, but if you just take a passive role, you'll never get underneath or behind the curtain to, to understand it. And without people really pushing for it, that's why a lot of the passive investors, the passive athletes end up, I think sometimes saying, woe is me because we got hosed. Well, if you'd taken a little bit more of an active role, it's maybe it still would have happened, but it's likely to have been lessened or maybe mitigated to some degree. So I always just say, sure, there are a lot of things to invest in. You should get a general or baseline understanding of what you're looking at. And that probably takes a lot of the risk off the table. Yeah, I, I, I think that's great advice. It's something that we um, believe strongly in. You know, it's whether it's um, us tiptoeing into the alternative space, it's, it's one of the things that we always communicate to our clients is um, we go first. You know, we, we as the partners, our personal money is in, is in any deal that, that we bring to, to our clients. And more than anything, it's it's from a learning experience, right? And when we talk to mm-hmm. talk to our our clients, it it's much more of a hey, you don't have to become a, a, an analyst or an expert, but the more that you understand the big picture of of why your money's working a certain way, you know, the more protected you are. It's it's just the flat out truth, and I think there has to be um, some extreme ownership from 
clients in general and just people in general when it comes to your money. I, I always love the analogy. I You're like a pitcher. That, that W and L is going next to your name. You put a team around you, right, wrong, or indifferent. You might somebody is, you know, maybe your shortstop kicks the ball and it's an error that, that costs the game, but that W or L is going next to your name. And, and the same thing comes to money, and it's, and it's a far more important game, right? And so I think it's really understanding that and, and putting the work in, not, not, you know, being lazy in the comments of, you know, just asking the simple question of, you know, what return am I getting, you know, is I think that that's a, mm-hmm. that's a sign for us very quickly that, um, yeah. you, you usually don't have someone who wants to learn and be, they're being sold by somebody else if they're simply just talking about, you know, returns. And so just putting that yeah. work in to go, you know, understanding how returns are even, you know, made across different investment opportunities. So I think that's, that's really wise advice to say, take it, be an active investor, not just, you know, passively turn your money over to someone. Yeah. Yeah. And look, there are people like you are experts for a reason. I'm not saying try to get to your level, but I am saying that you would respect and appreciate somebody coming to you who had done some diligence or who had an understanding of not just, oh, this is a 15% rate of return over the, can't miss this one, blah, blah, blah. No, that's, that is a, a shortcut way of looking at things. And you're that, that person probably being set up for, for failure uh, and not that you would ever promise returns, obviously, but I, I think it's more important that the underlying knowledge is there. And I think that you probably value that as much as anything else with the client. hundred percent. I think it's like, it's for any of us when you have someone who walks in, who's, even put in 1% of the work to have a general understanding, they respect your expertise. It's, it's usually I'm there, you know, because I know enough to know how much I don't know. Right. And I also respect your, your value and your expertise. And ultimately you're a good client. And I think that that's the other thing of doing business is um, you should look for partnerships, right? This is not a transactional deal, um, is you really want to go into business with people that you can call true partners where there's an equal level of respect and there's learning how to be a good client. And uh, one thing I've learned through relationships, and I know you've seen this, Justin, is, is that to get access to the, the most successful opportunities, you know, they're oversubscribed. There's, they don't have an issue getting access to money. So they start to choose who are we going to let into our network and who is, who's going to get an opportunity. And that really comes based off of, of being a good client and a good partner. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Well, just uh, being respectful. I know that, that we're closing in on our time is, Two little uh, rapid-fire questions that we ask most of our guests. Um, that uh, that's just some fun questions. Is first, if you could think of personally the best or most worthwhile investment that you've made, um, and that could be investment of money, it could be investment of your time, it could be just of investment of grunt work. Is there anything that comes to mind of in your life that that sticks out? Well, <laughs> the short answer would be the work put in to get drafted and get a, a signing bonus, but <laughs> somehow that didn't last. 
last as long as I expected it to. <laughs> I would say for, for time and effort, it is people and it's a continual investment hmm. and it's an intangible return generally, but that's the most worthwhile. You invest in the right people. My wife and I always say, we don't, with a bunch of kids and business and time as it is, we don't have time for negative energy. Invest in people who are positive, who are who bring you up. And that could be in any walk of life. Like I said, it could be a nonprofit. It could be a mission-driven thing. It can be a business-driven thing. It can be a friend who is starting something new that you want to get behind. But positive energy will, will bring you a long way. So from a time and effort standpoint, that's the most worthwhile. From an actual investment, I would say it's been in, in the multifamily world. Uh, I hit on it because I'm far from a real estate expert, but the the law of time and cheap debt in this cycle and accumulating doors uh, and seeing that I've had great real estate mentors and partners of our firm who said, you're not getting into real estate to hit a grand slam and then exit. Time is your ally. Mm-hmm. And if you're around long enough and you buy right, you will be greatly rewarded going forward over the next 10, 20, 30 years. So that we've, we've done that. Uh, it's, it's proven to be very true. I continue to look at real estate. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm on the M&A side. I, I look at businesses all the time. There's some great businesses. I have some wonderful clients who make a ton of money. But when I look at it for our own way to, to grow, uh, yeah, I look at it on the, on the real estate side. And obviously with, with somebody like you as, as part of diversifying strategy, I, I'm not the expert that you are either. And so I know what I don't know. And that is, those are the two main things. I invest in people with my time and effort. And I look at real estate opportunities because I'm not, I, I like singles and doubles. I don't need home runs. Yeah, that that's great. Great answer. Well, you know, before we, we go, is there anything that you would uh, ask of our audience? I know one thing I want to point them to for sure is just Athletes Touch. How do they learn more about it? Where can, where can they contact you personally or find out about Athletes Touch? Yeah, I appreciate it. So you can go to the website, uh, HTTP, whatever, uh, athletestouch.co and look at the event. If you're in Southern California, you want to come out. If you are somewhere else and you want to talk about how to get a group elsewhere, we're happy to talk about it. If you just want to reach out and just chat, we're always available too. I would just say the, what I would just leave people with, do something, get out there. You don't need to, if you don't want to network, don't network. If you want to just only talk to your friends, fine, but it's limiting unless your friends are willing to make very key introductions for you constantly grow one person at a time. If you think about it, if you know 50 people in your inner circle and they make one introduction for you, you've just doubled your sphere in a short, short amount of time. And they're probably going to be pretty well vetted as well. So, but they're not going to do it unless they trust you. And unless they feel like there's some, some value in you talking to them, meeting with them and, and that you're doing it for the right reason. So, that's my whole takeaway is just brick by brick. That, that is amazing. Thank you uh, for all of the, uh, the wisdom and insight today, Justin. It's been 
a lot of fun. I'm glad that that we got to reconnect and and uh, I know our guests are uh, going to benefit greatly from this. And for the audience, I'll put all of the uh, books and, and resources in the show notes so that you guys can can check them all out. And so, uh, Justin, thanks again for your time today. Thanks, Eric. Great, great catching up.